Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my pals David Moore and Evan Grant. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. Great to have you on here. And and uh, and then there's also Evan. Hi, Evan. How are you? I'm preparing for a much less podcast after last week's joyous podcast in which David and I held court, but we'll put up with you, Kevin. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, I just want to point out that uh, I was, uh, actually, I was off last Monday and then went to Charleston. Have you boys ever been to Charleston before? Have not, but that is one place I definitely want to go. I've been there many I'll tell times. You what, it's kind of like a, a really nice, clean, non-smelly New Orleans. You know, that's that's kind of that's kind of the vibe that it's putting out there. A lot of really good food, very uh, smaller, much smaller than New Orleans, uh, but a, a really fun place to go. We had a great time. Well, why are you great time. New Orleans? What, what do you have against New Orleans, Kevin? Well, I love New Orleans. I, I you know, just called it a smelly, trashy place. Yeah, it is smelly. Come on. It's the, the French Quarter. It's a charm, and, down and dirty. Yeah, it is dirty. There's stuff they haven't cleaned up since 1787 in the French Quarter. I'm just going to say that, you know. So, uh, well, in fairness to them, they're underwater quite a bit more than Charleston is. So it is <laughs> that's more difficult to... That is true too. That is did a you, problem there. Did you go to Fort Sumter? Well, we 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 took one of those pedicabs that went by and looked at it from from land. You know, we didn't. You know, uh, we did not actually go out there to it. Uh, I've been there. Uh, have you really? Yeah. Wow. Were, were you there when it was fired upon? No, no. It was. Uh, I was seven when I was there. When we <laughs> went a couple of years ago, we didn't make it out to Fort Sumter. We. We stopped at the restaurants. The difference between being a seven-year-old and being an adult was the restaurants and bars drew us in more than the history of Fort Sumter. Yeah, well, that's good thinking, too. I milked a cow when I was in Charleston. I don't even know what to say. No, I did. We we went out on one of those um, working plantation tours, and uh, I milked a cow. Boy, little Evan, milking a cow. How about that? They put some of that balm on my hands, and I was down there working them udders. It was something. <laughs> yeah. Thanks yeah, for loading us was. up with that visual. Yeah, no kidding. Woo! It's Ow. unfortunate that the people can't see me doing the little udder move here. I don't know were, that unfortunate is the word for it. But, were you, were uh, you sitting on a stool, or did you like you'll get one of those like wheels that the, you, you go under a car and you're on your back. No, no, no. I, I sat on that. a stool. I sat on a okay. stool. Um. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, and then, and then Evan got on a raft and floated down the Mississippi river right after that. And it was, you know, you may have read about that. Telling tales. Yeah. <laughs> did, Kevin, did you eat it? Is snob still open? Did you eat it snob while you were in Charleston? We we did not eat it snob. No, we did not. Uh, uh, but, thing. That was the best shrimp and grits I've ever had. Well, they I tell you what, they know what they're doing with shrimp and grits over there. Uh, I'll I'll say that. Uh, it it was all it was all great. And if I hadn't brought back some kind of 
near fatal disease uh, with it, it would have been a quite a quite a trip. But anyway, uh, it all went well, and I'm well now, so everything's good, and we're and we've moved on. So I'm sure that that uh, our readers or listeners would like to think that we would actually talk about something that mattered. So let's talk about these. Let me tell you something from all the research that we have done from Gallup and then our other research firm, Dewey, Cheatham and Howe. NPR reference, but go ahead. They they love they love the people. They love the banter. People want more banter. They love when we talk about the low country. Is that what you're saying? They just oh, love okay. the banter. They, they, they love it in particular when we're just kind of joshing and jollying around. Okay. And bantering. That's great to know. That's great to know. All right. You're not taking uh, me seriously here, but let's move on. dismissive can, of it. Can we move on now, Evan? Just my gosh. Sure, let's talk, Holy why don't we talk about the Cowboys? Let's talk about it. Utter disasters. Speaking of udders, uh, okay, it all that comes was, back to udders. Yeah, that all was about uh, the segue. That was an utter disaster, by the way. And David Moore, I'm going to say that the that the Cowboys' biggest problem in that game, uh, even though Dak uh, Prescott did nothing to arrest the problem at the end, had they had they merely gotten a first down, if he hadn't thrown that awful interception over Dalton Schultz's head and everybody else's, there were things that he could have done to to stop the bleeding and all of that. But if the Cowboys defense had played like the Cowboys defense had played most of the year, and if Micah Parsons had played like he has played for the greater part of this year, the Cowboys would have won that game, wouldn't they? Well, first to respond to Evan, yes, this is the worst 10-4 and team in NFL history. They're only <laughs> saved by the fact that Minnesota is the worst 11-3 and team in NFL history. Exactly. But, no, but but there there are some there are some flags that have been raised here, and and Kevin, you mentioned is especially on defense. This this defense is really leaking oil at the moment. I mean, this was the group that carried them early this season. This was the group that built on the surprising performance they put in place last season, and, and was getting even better. And uh, but now you've had an inj- you've lost your starting corner in Anthony Brown. You lost your nickel corner in Jordan Lewis. Uh, you lost. You made a trade and brought in Jonathan Hankins, who helped your run defense, and now he's out for the rest of the regular season with the pectoral strain. Um, you had Leighton Vanderesh, who's been outstanding this season, and I thought had his best game in two years uh, in that game against Houston uh, that they narrowly escaped winning. Uh, then he he suffers a pinched nerve in his shoulder, not his neck, which is significant, and and that's the. Uh, for a guy with cervical stenosis, but a pinched nerve in his shoulder five plays into the Jacksonville game and came out. And, and I think you really saw it impact their run defense, especially on those reverses that Jacksonville was running. So this team has lost some significant players on the defensive side of the ball, and they're having to change their personnel groupings. Uh, going into this rematch against Philadelphia, um, the coaching staff declared yesterday that, yes, we're holding an open competition for the corner spot opposite Trayvon Diggs because Kelvin Joseph has been so bad. And so now let's tie that all up and bring it to the one other guy you mentioned, Micah Parsons. I thought he had arguably his least impactful game in that first meeting with Philadelphia. And what happened there? That was the one game this year where he spent more snaps at linebacker than he did uh, on the defensive line. So how will Dallas deploy him in this game? And to me, 
with where this defense is now and Micah Parsons, who was in the conversation for defensive player of the year, but has seen that competition, I think, wane in these last couple of weeks. It's essential for this Dallas defense and for Micah Parsons if he wants to keep his hopes alive of winning defensive player of the year to come up big on Christmas Eve. And 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 players who are in the running for those sort of awards, that's what they do, right? Their best performances come at key moments. And I, I think Micah Parsons can make a huge statement for whether or not he is the defensive player of the year with how he responds on Christmas Eve against Philadelphia. Here's here's my issue. It's not it's no longer a key moment. The Philadelphia game to me is no longer a key moment. And this I don't think this is the worst 10 and 4 team in NFL history. I think the disaster for me is that I thought this might very well be the best team in the NFC and was primed to make this game with Philadelphia. The message that sent the Eagles like, you better watch out, and that the last two weeks we're going to be full of some drama. And now, guys, I just don't think that this team is – it's not one of the top two teams in the NFC. I think San Francisco has moved ahead of them, and Philadelphia has clearly, even without Jalen Hurts this week, Philadelphia clearly is on a different level than the Cowboys. So, in your minds, where is this team? What is this well, team I think capable of? That, that's the issue, though, with the Cowboys. And it's Look – the NFL is, is is on a week to week basis. You know, every, every team in the league. You know that uh, you, you can't, especially this year. That's that's always been the, the story, but especially this year, teams. Uh, when you make the lesson I've learned anyway is that you can't make any pronouncements about these guys. You know, you, you can't say, "Well, here they are. They're this is a great team." Uh, the Eagles are really the only team in the NFL you could kind of say that about. They they've played well all year long. They've had a couple little hiccups. But not, but not major ones, and they and they've just continued to play great football week in and week out. Who else can you say that about? No, no, no one else is really doing that. Now, I will say that what has the thing that you could count on with the Cowboys has been their defense has played really well. Uh, you know, as 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 I said earlier, as poorly as I thought Dak played in the second half, and if he just made a couple of plays, if they just gotten a first down after Micah Parsons re, you know recovers the fumble, that's all we had to do there, right? Get a first down, and then at that point, it's also not only on on Dak; it's it's on the offense. It's like they they you know on third down, third and ten, he throws long to you know to Noah Brown. It's it's not it's an ill advised pass. It almost seemed like a hail mary, and it's like why why are you doing that? Why aren't you forcing them to use their last timeout? Run the ball, force them to use their last timeout here. Uh, you didn't even you, you really needed a first down, but even if you don't get the first down. You know, make it make it harder for them on their last drive. They probably don't go down there and, and kick the game tying field goal if they just do that. That's kind of the you know the, the thing about the Cowboys is that it's always something, right? Uh, it, it's a coaching decision. It's a it's a play Dak didn't make. It's you know it, it, it's this. But you know, you score thirty four points. That ought to be enough for you to win. On you know, you score thirty four points on the road. So the the fact that the the, the Cowboys defense faltered so much to me that was a troubling part of the Cowboys we're, we're kind of used to this offense being in and out a little bit uh but you can really count on Micah Parsons in that defense Micah Parsons is a transcendent player Dak Prescott is not Dak Prescott is a kind of a quarterback in the you know that top 10 area you know uh and and so when you have a guy that's that good and people are comparing him to Lawrence Taylor you just kind of expect to see that all the time right 
Uh, maybe not all the time. He doesn't have to make unbelievable plays every game, uh, but he's got to make more than he's been making. And I think he had two tackles in that game. Uh, that's not enough. That's not enough of an impact. And, uh, and, and, and that was the other thing about uh, watching Trevor Lawrence play. He got sacked what? Once? Uh, that was by Micah Parsons. Parsons early, yeah. And he got four, and he was hit four times. Dak was hit eight times. You know, if you're going to let him stand there in the pocket, and uh, I don't care who he is, I think Trevor Lawrence has got a lot of potential. He's going to be great. Uh, everybody always thought he was going to be great, but if you let any NFL quarterback stand back there and not get any more pressure than that, well, he's going to look good. That's just the way it works. So, but do you think? Like my feeling on the Cowboys was that this team could do special things because of that defense, and because I thought the offense was well-rounded enough, especially with the evolution of how they started to use Pollard more and more, that there would always be a way to find a way to win when you needed a touchdown, when you needed to win a game late. Do you feel like the Cowboys, I feel like now the Niners have the best defense or the better defense than the Cowboys in the NFC, and that's why I feel they're their position to go deeper. Well, I, I would say Cowboy fans have a lot of emotional scar tissue built up over the last two decades. And I, I think that they were starting to allow themselves to believe this team could be different because there have been a lot of indicators uh, that we've talked about on this podcast uh, throughout the year to indicate this team uh, is is a little different than past versions. And then you see how difficult it was for them to win the Houston game. And then you see them blow a 17-point lead on the road against Jacksonville. And you start to roll your eyes and go, okay, here we go again. Um, I allowed myself to buy in on this. Shame on me. These are the same old Cowboys. I, I will say for people who are feeling that way, and that's a very legitimate feeling. I'm not trying to dismiss it. Um, but there, there are some things here to look at. And, and one, Dallas, Dallas is 10-4. and four. They've only lost one game all year to a team with a winning record. And that is Philadelphia in the first game when they did not have Dak Prescott. And Michael Gallup was not back to where uh, he was physically uh, right now. Um, so they have beaten Cincinnati, Super Bowl team from last year. They've beaten the New York Giants twice, and I know people say, ah, the New York Giants, they're a winning team. They beat them twice. They destroyed an 11-3 Minnesota team. Um, you know, so this team has some quality victories uh, along the way, and they're matching up with the teams by and large that are ahead of them or you're going to see in the postseason. So that's a good sign. Now, the other sign is if you're the, oh, here we go again, yeah, three of Dallas's four losses have been to teams with losing records, which you normally don't see in the postseason. But because they're locked in at that number five seed, who are they going to face in the first round on the road? The NFC South winner, which is going to have a losing record. So, <laughs> you know, you can you can look at it either way, whether you're the uh, beaten down Cowboys fan just going, this thing's going to turn out the same way we've seen it over the last 26 years. Or you can look at a few things here to go, well, th this is still different. And, and now let me bring up this point. Dak Prescott had his injury early in the year, and he's, well, he has interception issues right now. There's no concerns about his health, right? Uh, we're asking about his connection with receivers. 
Is he being too aggressive? Physically, we're not asking anything about Dak Prescott at this point. Would you rather have a healthy Dak Prescott here at week 15 or Jalen Hurts, who has a strained throwing shoulder, who could miss a week to two going into the postseason? Who, who is better equipped there? San Francisco is playing great right now. They've had two games with a rookie seventh-round pick who has played well. How is that rookie going to look when the playoffs start and you have five games of tape for defensive coordinators to go, oh, well, this is what he doesn't do. Let's force him to do this. So I think you can play this game across the NFC, and I think it can change very quickly here in these final three weeks based on injuries. And you you do need some sort of momentum. I I agree with you on that. You need to have some sense of, okay, we're building here. Um, And and Dallas has three weeks to recapture that on some level, especially defensively. Let me ask you a yes or no question, both of you. If the Cowboys win on Sunday, is there any question about whether or not Jalen Hurts is playing this week? Wait a minute. If they win, is there if any the Cowboys, oh, you mean if they won? If they, if they won, won last Sunday. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Uh, well, look, listen, no, I don't think they're going to be jacking around with that. I, I do think he's got, I mean, a shoulder problem, right? I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. They're not going to misdiagnose that. And again, his throwing uh, shoulder, and this is interesting. He threw more deep balls in that last game than he had basically all season combined. My, my well, take here is they're going to rest him because they can. Well, they may rest him uh, for two weeks here, but yeah, that factors in on it. I mean, if this I, was a if this was a one game, the winner of this can be a one seed or drop down to five because of what he does with his feet. I think maybe you could go, okay, let's throw some underneath stuff and just do the run more uh, because they're so effective as as a run team as well. Um, but yeah, they, they 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 have the long game in mind. But, you know, also the Cowboys do, too, because they know basically they're locked in at five. And, you know, Dan Quinn was talking about this. We've got to get this defense fixed. And what we're looking at doing isn't just about what's going to help us win the Philadelphia game. It's about the formula and personnel groupings we can repeat going into the postseason. That's how I'm looking at it. So both of these teams are really looking at this game, one eye on this game, but the other eye is toward the postseason. And look, say now Dallas is in a tough spot in this game, right? If they lose this against the backup quarterback, then it's like, oh well. But if they win it, it's going to be well, okay. Philly beat Dallas with a backup quarterback. Now Dallas beat Philly with his backup quarterback. So okay, let's clean the slate if these teams you know meet up again. Yeah, I would think there's a good chance that these two teams meet a third time. Uh, frankly, I do too. I, I, I think that look, look, the loss uh, to Jacksonville was ugly. And, and stupid, and there's no re- way that should have happened. And it just kind of it, – it's part of the infuriating process here of what's happened in the Mike McCarthy regime, which is that I think he's built a good culture here. I, I think they certainly have, have drafted well, and, and things have been put in place, and everything looks good. It's just still too many stupid things that happen in these games uh, that are frustrating. It doesn't mean that I don't think they can't put it all together. That's what they did against Minnesota the first time. No matter who the Vikings are, and they're the team that is now – record the second or the greatest comeback in the history of NFL uh, football by coming back from a 33-point deficit in the first half against the Colts, uh, that's still a really good team, uh, at least in the NFL these days. And so to beat them up there, not only just beat them, but to dominate them in Minnesota, that shows who the Cowboys are capable of being. Now, it doesn't mean that's that's who they are 
or, or, or who they are from week in and week out. Uh, no, I don't think they are, you know, that every week. That's as good as they can be right there. And that's certainly good enough to win a Super Bowl if they played like that, uh, if they got to that point. Listen, so, and again, uh, beating Cincinnati early in the season with the backup quarterback. I know it was early, but don't just miss that game either. But no. to your point, Evan – what did they have going in? They had a defensive swagger then that they've lost here because of injuries over the last three weeks. They need to get healthy, and they need to get that defensive swagger back. And that's what I, I, I want to ask you about, uh, David, is that that's the thing about this team. It, you know, in that game, uh, there were times when uh, if they could have just gotten some pressure on Lawrence, you felt like that they could – that. Even in the midst of that great comeback, this is going to happen, and it just didn't. It didn't come come about. Uh, is there something that teams are doing differently now to counteract what the the Cowboys are doing? Is is it is it a little bit that the Cowboys have tried so hard to to plug their their run problems, their run defense problems, that it is now affecting their pass rush? I don't think so. I think what you saw. You saw Houston surprise them and put them back on their heels with a quarterback rotation, including a huge quarterback who was basically an option quarterback who just ran on them. Um, so I think, you know, they were caught like, you know, in between on that uh, every time looking on who's back there, how you're going to go about it. And again, Houston was getting back very quick, three-step drops, getting the ball out quick to negate that. Um, this past week um, against Jacksonville, you know, Trevor Lawrence, you talk about escapability. He is he is he has a feel for that. He moves around yeah. so well in that pocket, knows where the pressure's coming from, is able to sidestep it. He can actually run for a few yards. But to me, it's not about the running, which he can do. It's just about his ability to escape and buy time. And, you know, they do not have a particularly good offensive line. And his sack rate is one of the lowest in the league. And to me, that goes to him and his ability to feel the presence and move away from it. So I think in that game, they did get to him early. But then what happened is they were they were failing on the back end, as we saw with Kelvin Joseph and others. And Dorrance Armstrong, who's had eight sacks this year, went out with a knee injury. Now, he came back in, but he wasn't full strength. And so I think you lost another pass rusher on the edge. And then they hit him with those reverses, which kind of backs off the pass rush, right? So I think it was a good combination of what Jacksonville executed. Um, but I, I still believe the Dallas pass rush is there. But now, are you just keeping an extra guy back going, well, this defense in the back end can't hold up long enough uh, with this extra you know, half second we're giving the quarterback and we're going to hit him with a big play? That's what Dallas has to be concerned about when it comes to the pass rush, in my mind. Yeah, there was a lot of misdirection in uh, in Jacksonville's offense as well, and I think that's that's what you always do against a team that, that might be guilty of over pursuing. Philadelphia is outstanding at that, and and Philadelphia is probably as prolific of a team in the league as it comes to big plays. And what makes them different than a lot of teams is they're just as prolific in big plays on the run game as they are the passing game. And you don't know which they're going to emphasize going into a game. So, however you prepare. Uh, they're probably going to burn you in the other area. And then depending on how you react, they'll just switch the other way. They're, they're a very varied, uh, a very varied uh, offensive team. Now, mean, with Minshaw on there, they'll be a little bit different. Um, but still, this is, this is a game Dallas needs to win uh, because it needs to set some things right after what we've seen these last couple of weeks. 
You know, you know, and I do think they will win this game. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I think uh, even, I, I think if Hertz was going to play, I think there was a chance they could win this game just because uh, this team needs somebody they can focus on. I, I do think there's a, there's a lot of youth on this team. I think there's a lot of guys who <clears throat> just believe that, oh, we're just going to win. We're, this is who we are. Uh, and I don't think there's I, – I, I've always questioned the leadership on this team at times and whether they really uh, understand that. I think Jaron Curse is a guy – who really does it, uh, and, and certainly Demarcus Lawrence are two guys that, that who get it. But I don't know if enough other guys on that defense do. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see what they do uh, this weekend. Yeah, well, I'll say very quickly, wrap it up. You know, the, the skepticism is justified, and, and I understand it from from long suffering Cowboy fans and uh, followers. I, I get that because you've seen this year in and year out since the since the you know Super Bowl run back in the in the mid to early, early to mid nineties. Um, but so let's, let's, let's just see how this plays out here though. And, and, and ask yourselves, has Dallas played a poor game against a good team this year? Most of the time when you're talking about them playing a poor game, it's been about a team that's below them in the standings. It hadn't been a team that's ahead of them in the standings. And even when they went to Philadelphia with a backup quarterback, that game was five to seven minutes deep into the fourth quarter before the Eagles were able to pull away. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, I, I do think they'll be ready for this, so we'll see what they're going to do. That'll do it for the Cowboys segment of our podcast. Let's move over into the Rangers now. Uh, Evan Grant uh, wrote a little something for us saying that Michael Conforto, who who plays every other year, uh, might be available to the Rangers as an outfielder. He would, uh, if healthy, uh, would certainly be a big upgrade in left field over what the Rangers have been trotting out there. So Evan, what do we think about the prospects of Conforto at this point? I, they've been interested in Conforto and have talked to Conforto since the summertime, you know, and they made him an offer back in the summer that clearly was going to be more club friendly because he wasn't going to be able to play. Uh, he was still rehabbing that shoulder, but it was with the idea that he would be in the picture for, for 23. Um, now I think that, that the offers have to look at the idea that he's going to play all of 23 and probably for the agent who is Scott Boris, there needs to be some kind of opt out after the first year so that if Conforto reestablishes the kind of value that he had really going into, into 2021, um, then, then he can escape that. And I, I think the Rangers are a perfect fit for him because this is a team that's going to be at least on the fringe of contention, or should be on the fringe of contention. Um, there's opportunity for him to play every day in left field. And the lineup is a, I, I don't want to say top shelf, but it's a it's an upper half of the league lineup if you add Michael Conforto to that top six. So I think there's a lot of reasons for it to fit for him. Uh, I think the Rangers issue right now is you underwent shoulder surgery you haven't thrown and we need to make sure that you can you're going to be ready for the start of spring training and that's always kind of a tricky thing with a free agent who you know did not play a year ago what is it uh, about him that it, that you would prefer over you know I don't know other candidates somebody they could trade for you know other than the fact they wouldn't have to give up any prospects obviously you just sign him and it and 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 yes, probably a one-year deal, and I don't have a problem with that. There is no such thing as a bad one-year deal. 
Um, they might have one of their outfield prospects ready to go then in 2024. Uh, those would all be be fine. What is it that you like about Conforto over others? Well, look, the thing I like about him is offensively, this is a guy who controls the strike zone. Um, a 356 career on base percentage. Uh, he's shown power averaging basically 30 home runs a year from 2017 through 2019. Uh, and he's, he's, he's athletic enough in the outfield. I mean, he can go and, and, and get the ball. He's played some center field predominantly. He, he split his time between all three outfield positions, more of it in right than anywhere else. But I think he'd give you a fine defensive left field option. If he can throw a guy who gets on base, a guy who can provide some power, it, it, it slots really well somewhere in that top six and, and makes your, makes your lineup now a real threat um, for a big inning. So those are the things I like most about them. Uh, I think there's other options out there. I, certainly Jurickson and Profar um, has developed into a capable major leaguer, uh, and uh, he's he's got – utility value. I don't know that the Rangers need a utility guy. I think they've got some utility pieces there. I think what they need based on what this team has run out there every day in left field for most of the last decade is an everyday left fielder. They just haven't had one. They haven't produced from that position. They had the worst OPS from left field over the last nine years in all of baseball, and they were 28th in in 2022. So that's what I think is most important. And listen, even if his defense is a little bit questionable, you're going to have a guy like Bubba Thompson or Eli White on the bench who can play in close games or protect the lead and is a great asset defensively. And if you need to win a game with your base running, one of those guys can do it for you. All right. Let's talk about the outfield situation across the board. So let's say that they are able to do this, uh, and, and so Conforto would play left field. Uh, do we believe Leoli Tavares? Do you believe that in July, Leoli Tavares will still be the starting center fielder for the Texas Rangers? I would say that if he's not the starting center fielder for the Texas Rangers at that point in time, it speaks more to the freight train that is coming that is Evan Carter. Um, I think I think is going to get every opportunity all this year to play center field. Um, Evan Carter is pushing hard. And that's why a guy like Conforto makes so much sense because you want to buy one year out there. And Carter would either play left or center, and Leody would potentially play the other position. But I get that there are questions about Leody. The first few times he came up to the big leagues, he clearly was not ready. Last year, he showed a lot of improvement, but tailed off significantly at the end. And so yeah, I, I get that there's some questions about him, but I think that with a capable major league lineup out there, his defense and his speed is going to make up for whatever shortcomings he has offensively, uh, and it's going to put him in a position to succeed rather than a position where there's a lot of pressure on him. See, here, here's my deal about Leody and Eli White and Bubba Thompson. They are almost the same guy to me. Now, Leody is more advanced uh, offensively than the other two guys. I don't think there's any question about that. We we always go on and on about what a great defensive center fielder Leody is, 
Um, and I think that clearly Eli White is a better defensive center fielder than Leody is. Uh, Leody's problem for me is, is just always the uh, – it, it's like he – it doesn't matter the situation. He goes about every ball the same way. There's no sense of urgency here. Uh, sometimes I'm not aware of what's going on. I'm just going and catching the ball. Um, and and Eli White's playing like it's the the bottom of the ninth, you know, at the world's in Game Seven of the World Series when he's out there. For me, I prefer that. Now the problem has been Eli hasn't hit at all. Uh, so uh, if and I don't know that there's any indication that he, he will ever hit. I, I'm feeling like if he, if I'm going to have a fourth outfielder, I want it to be Eli White. I love Bubba Thompson's uh, potential. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was pretty much almost uh, well. It was just fun to watch Bubba Thompson last year bun a ball and 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 beat it out, and then it's a double. It's you know, that's a Bubba Thompson double, right? Uh, getting on the bunt. So yep. I love the potential of all of that. Um, and and I guess what I'm saying is is that if Leone doesn't pan out in center field. Uh, they, they still need to sign someone else. There's no question about that. Uh, Evan Carter is not ready. Uh, they, they signed him out of high school, right? And so sure. how old is Evan at this point? Evan is uh, 20. Uh, he was 20. the youngest player at double A when he went up there. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would hope unless he's just lighting the place on fire, uh, that he spends a whole season in the minor leagues, uh, and that, you know, and then they bring him in as a candidate for 2024, but we'll see. I, I think in a best-case scenario, that is the case. But I also think that the Rangers feel like, and I'm getting the impression that Major League Baseball feels like, this is a guy who's destined to be a top-20 prospect uh, throughout the game. Um, uh, he is he's certainly going to start the year in the top-50 prospects. And... Um, the sky really is the ceiling for him. And, and, and this is one of those cases where if, if this guy is pushing for it, and I, I'm not saying challenge him, but if this guy is pushing for it, you're going to find a space for a player of that ca- caliber. To, to go back to the to ranking the outfielders defensively, I guess, um, you know, I think from my perspective, Leody probably has the best arm of that group. He's got... He's got good ability to track down the ball, but I do think there are occasions when his timing is not great and he doesn't have that sense of urgency. Um, I think Eli is is the best at going and getting the ball. I think that that puts him at some risk health-wise, as we've seen, um, because he doesn't care about fences, doesn't care about dives, all of that, and, and that is – that is um, exciting, but it's also, you know, it, it also puts him at risk. I think Bubba Thompson, um, with his speed, I think his instincts on the bases, uh, if he hits at all, you know, I think he ends up um, an everyday, an everyday cal- caliber outfielder. But I think from that group, you're going to be able to cobble together a, a strong defensive outfield, a strong pinch running option, a strong late game defensive option for your entire outfield alignment. So uh, providing you go out and get an everyday left fielder, and I think the Rangers still need to address that, and and Conforto would be at the top of that list, 
I think one of those guys, uh, or or even if you carry those two guys as your two backup outfielders, you you're able to really deploy some extra weapons late in games. Yeah, yeah. For me, those three guys represent one starter and one fourth outfielder, uh, and that is part of the deal in the thinking about going forward. So, what do you do with Ezekiel Duran? What do you do with Josh Smith? For me, the idea of trying to squeeze one of those guys into the uh, a role where he would also play in the outfield is just too many cooks in in the kitchen. You know, let, let's let these guys who actually play the outfield play the outfield. And if you can't find a place for Duran or Josh Smith, let's think about moving one of those guys or both of them. Uh, and, uh, and, and and frankly, of those two, uh, I think I like Duran's potential better than Smith's. Uh, as far as a utility player, uh, a guy that you could, could conceivably play two or three times a week. I Yeah, I, I think that he, here's the thing for me is I think that um, Smith is, if you're carrying that guy as a utility player and he's going to be your utility player as a backup infielder, I mean, that's the bottom line. He's not going to, he's not going to really figure in the outfield mix, I don't think. If you're carrying that guy as a backup infielder, he's going to be the guy who most often um, gives either Josh Young a a blow at third base. And so in that case, you'd like to have a left-handed hitter occasionally. um, Or the guy who uh, can give uh, Corey Seager a day off at shortstop or fill in if, if, if Seager has an issue. And I think on both those fronts right now, Smith probably fits the profile better. I think he's a little bit better or more natural shortstop than Duran, and he's a left-handed hitter. So uh, it also puts very much the possibility out there that while I think Zeke Duran is going to be an everyday major league player, that maybe that's the guy at the deadline that if you need to go out and add one more piece, one more pitcher, maybe in July this guy is able to front a, a big-time trade for, for a pitcher. Yeah, you know, I like that. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for wrapping that up for us. That brings us to our potpourri, which we always really like. Actually, this is my favorite thing is potpourri because we're just kind of riffing here, and, that, and that's always a good thing. Uh, so uh, in, uh, in the world of uh, college football, we had quite a development. Uh, first of all, you know, both of my girls were on the Palm Squad at Arkansas. They they were there when the teams were just basically terrible, and so I think they between the two of them they went to one bowl game. Um, so uh, it was a little bit disconcerting to see Barry Odom, uh, the uh, Razorbacks defensive coordinator, get the job as a UNLV head coach. Uh, he he didn't do a great job this year for the Razorbacks defense, but he'd been really good before that. So we're so, we're sorry to see him go, and then he he hired a guy. Uh, with a little bit of a Razorback uh, uh, background and history, you could say. Also a little Atlanta Falcon history that, that Evan has resented for a long time. And that's our old pal Bobby Petrino, who's now the offensive coordinator at UNLV. Well, you know what the good news there, There's two good uh, elements of this, Kevin. Um, one is for all the Aggie fans down in Aggieland, there was some report that Petrino might be in line for the offensive coordinator. Um, yeah. And, and so – Congratulations that you did not get Bobby Petrino, Texas A&M Aggies. Um, secondly, listen, before you go on any further, Bobby Petrino is an offensive genius. Now let, let's let's give him that. Uh, he's offensive, he's, all right. 
<laughs> Nick, Nick Saban uh, loves what Bobby Petrino does, at least on a football field. Now, maybe not everywhere else, but what uh, about on the on the highways outside of Fayetteville? I don't know. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm interested to see what it's going to be like. When I said something to our boss Gary Level about Bobby Petrino on this job, because you know, first of all, I don't believe that Jimbo was going to hire. Petrino and turn the offense over to him. I think it's the last thing that Jimbo ever wants to do. And that's and that's part of his problem as a head coach is he just cannot give it up. Is Gary Levels said that that Bobby Petrino will probably uh, not survive living in Las Vegas, you know, considering the way he's lived his lifestyle a little bit. So we'll a friend see of, what happens there. A friend of mine who shall remain nameless um did text me after that announcement um and said Petrino in Vegas. I, I, I predict nothing but a successful run for him there. I, I <laughs> this is a man who I, I, listen. This is a man who left his NFL team with a note and didn't face him when he decided to to leave. Um, the behavior at Arkansas is everything that you would absolutely write up in the casting call for sleazy college football coach and. He's taken that to Las Vegas, to Sin City. So hopefully Bobby Petrino is a changed guy after his time at Missouri State. Uh, I'm not so sure I would buy that, but uh, I'm sure the UNLV offense will be more dynamic. I hope that the police blotter in Las Vegas is not quite as dynamic. Wow. Police blotters. Man, we're calling it all out. All right, we're in the last stages of this uh, this year now, and uh, and it's you know it's it's Chris it's Hanukkah week, Christmas is coming up. Evan, what is your your? Uh, I'm going to let you think about this for just a second about what your Hanukkah wishes. I, I just finished my annual regrets column, uh, and that's going to run either this week or next week. You know, there's unfortunately always a lot of material uh, for that regrets column. Or is and- it now a series? What do you mean? Yeah, I've been doing it for like 10 years. No, I mean, don't you have like more than one column to do off of this? A year? To try to keep it going? Oh, I get what you're saying there. Ha ha. Uh, No, it is is not a series. Uh, I I jam it all into one column. And I tell you what. What's your biggest regret? What's the number one regret? Well, I can't tell you that. That's all a big surprise. What's in the running for the number one regret? Well, there's there were several, and I and I named two of them, and the, and I'm I'm not going to tell you that at this point. I will tell you this: for this, I have to go back and read every single column I have written during the year because you know my memory is terrible. And so I'm going to tell you: after doing all that, I'm in a, a funk and a depression for about 48 hours afterwards. That is, it is really hard to go back and read all that stuff. At the end of it, I'm thinking, why do I even do this for a living? This is. This is really depressing. I, That's I amazing. I have the same feeling after I read your columns, each one of them. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, that's that's my that's my yeah, Christmas. Give us a yeah. few things you got wrong. You don't have to give us the top one. Give us a few things you got wrong this year. Oh well. Uh, all right. Let me think about it that way. So well, you know, I, I did come out kind of uh, against the Kristaps Porzingis trade. Uh, I'll, I'll just I'll say that. Uh, it turns out I was, and I didn't just come out kind of against it. I came out with, you know, both guns blazing, uh, which okay. probably was not a good approach. Uh, all that's, things considered. That's still not going to even 
get on the middle stand of worst Mavericks takes by a, a Dallas Morning News columnist, considering that I, I believe that in the short time that I worked with Randy Galloway, um, he talked about what a great pickup Sean Bradley was going to be for this team. Well, there were several that Randy did. Randy once said that he, uh, he wanted the, uh, Melvin Turpin over uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, yeah, that's that's the that's the standard right there. Uh, yeah, Randy would Randy didn't mind just throwing it out there. That was the thing. Um, so and and he survived all of that uh, quite well. Uh, and then there was another one when I I may have said something to the effect of that Dak. Uh, you you should like the Cowboys' chances going into the season because Dak was by far. The best quarterback in the East, by far, is what I said. Maybe might have might have been wrong about that too. Uh, there were there were uh, several others in there. Uh, you know, what's your biggest uh, Rangers regret? My big, you know, usually I have a lot of Rangers regrets. Because uh, yeah, you rely on my reporting <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, maybe a little too much. Uh, I actually. I think I did a pretty good job of, of kind of backing off of uh, the Rangers so much this year. I did say at one point, oh, I know what it was. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe writing that uh, that Shohei Otani column. Maybe that was my biggest Ranger regret. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you called him a left fielder, that one too. <laughs> I, it wasn't I remember just, that one. It wasn't just a left fielder thing. I just, you know. Uh, I, I, all right. I blame that one on Gary Level for allowing me to write it. He, before you know, we get to your big wish – Though okay. I want to say that even with all your regrets, listen, Kevin Sherrington writes compelling columns day in and day out for the Dallas Morning News, and it's a pleasure to read them because I always, like one thing in particular was you and I had a long conversation about the Jerry Jones picture column from Little Rock, and your take is always much more nuanced and reasoned out than the knee jerky public. And for that, Kevin, I thank you. I applaud you. Oh, well, that was very nice, Evan. That, that was a, that's the nicest Christmas present I've ever gotten from you. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. So uh, you go first. What's your biggest wish for the, uh, for the sports world in this Christmas? My wish for the sports world this Christmas is is what uh, it, it is for every every year, which is that people trying to be so nuts. Okay, can can we can we just watch these games and not go so crazy? You know, it, it's like it's like um, I, I, so we we're going to mention the World Cup, right? We watched the end of that, uh, and and I got to tell you now, I'm a little embarrassed that the World Cup came down to a shootout, which is you know. Basically, what is the shootout? It's that we're going to de-pants the goalie. That's basically what we're doing here, right? Because there is, this is just embarrassing. We're going to sit him up here, and now we're going to shoot at him. It's like, and so the fact that he gets the Argentinian goalie, you know, stops that one shot was just unbelievable because, frankly, that just never happens, you know. Because uh, everyone, so we we make a big deal about the fact that, that saves are spe- when when you see a, a, a World Cup goalie make a save in a shootout like that, those saves are spectacular, and that that oh save that Martinez made was was spectacular. So yeah, yeah, no, no question. And uh, plus, I love the little shoulder shimmy he gave after that was over. You know, that was they kind of did it in slow motion. That might have been my World Cup highlight right there when he was doing that. That was so about you know. Him. 
But, it, but you know, when you got these people down in Australia, you know, and they're going, they're running down on the field. What is, what is it with these people? You know, come, come on, let's just, let's just, let's just enjoy this and have a good time. Can we? Can we just not watch these games and enjoy them and and try not to kill each other? That's what I say. That's that's my wish for for the world at this Christmas. Is that in sports? <laughs> Let's try not to kill each other. That's great. I, I don't know if everybody saw that video from the soccer game in Australia in which the fans rushed the field and uh, both, I think, the goalkeeper and a referee got it with like a what appeared to be a water or rosin bottle. And the poor referee just walked off the field like, I've had enough. See you all later. Goodbye. Yeah. yeah. Um, my wish for the sport, my my Hanukkah wish for the sports world. Uh, well, I'll make it more local and um, more homery. I um, I like this Cowboy team, um, and I I would like to see this team advance uh, in, in, into these playoffs. I um, I know that Dak can be up and down, and I know the defense has leaked oil here a little bit lately. But I I I think that Cowboy fans. Um, have moved past feeling entitled and now they feel a little bit desperate and I'd like to see them rewarded for that. And I'd I'd like to see 2023 be a year in this market where fans of all sports get a lot more satisfaction from, from their teams. I think it's, it's been a long time coming and it's due again. Yeah. I like that one. That's a good one. Can I, can I say that I'm on that one too? Sure. I think because I, I think you're right because I th- I do think that is the one of the things that you know whatever you want to say about what Chris Young is doing with the Rangers and I, and I'm reading people are reading fans I'm reading national commentators saying oh it's just this is just wild reckless spending and and the word reckless used a lot it's like what what's reckless about it? it's not your money and uh, it, you know if if they hit on these things there were things they had to do. If, if, if they hit all these things, this is great. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, There's, uh, there's a tax that you have to pay for being non-competitive if you want to shortcut the return. And the Rangers have tried to do it one way, and now they're paying the tax. And they're doing what they need to do to go out and get the players that they need. They've done a remarkable job of rebuilding that rotation. Yes, there's risk involved in that rotation, but there is an awful lot of upside, and that's something you haven't been able to say about a Rangers rotation in a long time. The middle infield, and if they add another bat with the possibility of Mitch Garver coming back and the rise of Josh Young, this offense could be really, really dangerous. And let's not discount the fact that they have, for the first time in their history, they have hired a manager who knows what it takes to win, who has won as a manager. Um, That's significant. I think this team is in really good position to significantly improve. And I think there are a few more moves that could put them, yes, on on the fringes of any kind of playoff race you want to talk about. Yeah, I think that's the, the, the Rangers and Cowboys have almost gotten themselves into the same category, which is that Cowboys fans don't want to believe in anything because it's been so long. Right. And Rangers fans are kind of in the same way. They, they, they've been disappointed. And so therefore that they're, they are projecting the future based on the past, which, you know, it's, it's, it's just not logical. You can say that if you want to, but if things have been proven to be different, 
you know, we got a different general manager. We got a different owner. We got a different set of circumstances here with the Rangers, right? Now, the Cowboys, we don't have a different general manager. So I can understand a little bit of that. But when you see the different personnel, you have to look at the fact that there are different personnel here. There are different coaches and the league is different. You know, there are, there are no dominant teams in the NFC. If the Cowboys, I will say this, if the Cowboys don't get to uh, at least the NFC championship game, well, then shame on them. Because I think everything is set up for them to do that. You know, the Eagles might be the issue because I do think the Eagles are really a solid team, very a very good team. But I think you could figure out the Eagles, or I think Dan Quinn could. So we'll see about that. So that would be a real shame. As for the Rangers, I don't I don't hold out huge hopes for them next year. But there's no reason not to go into next year thinking that maybe something good will happen here. You know, maybe this will be fun. Maybe we'll we'll see what happens here. There's no reason to go into next year thinking. Ah, uh, this won't work out. Those guys were all hurt, and and uh, it will all be just be just disappointing again. It's it's not going to work. I I just don't see the, the the logic even in that. And and furthermore, let's just try to be happy. Yeah, I, I think the the overwhelming wish from here at Sports Days Insiders is two things: let's try and have fun out there, people, and <laughs> let's hope that your teams actually allow you to have more fun at those games and following them in 2023. Absolutely. So because of that, and in, in that light, which now there is a, a light filling this room where I'm sitting here all of a sudden, this is really nice. I've got my Christmas tree over here in the corner. Uh, you just can't beat it. Uh, we want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast all year long. Uh, and uh, we know that you've got other things to do and you, you might could listen to something else that would be more informative or something else a little more edifying than, uh, than the Sports Day Insider. But, but we don't think so. We think this is absolutely the best thing for you is to listen to this podcast week in and week out. So, and and because of that, we want to wish you a happy holidays. And, uh, and as we go into the new year, we believe that this will only grow and it will make you a better person and will make us better people and we'll all be a better society because of this podcast and this podcast alone. So thank you from everybody in here to everybody out there and we wish you the happiest of holidays.